0: Blue the Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm gonna make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Four is inside. Oh!
1: And it's over Jokic put it out. Jokic 23 and Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado sports, and this is going to be another fun episode, another one of those State of the Nuggets episodes that I'm going to keep doing more and more of throughout this pseudo offseason that we're all kind of stuck within right now, and I talked to Brendan Vote of DNVR first, and it was a great conversation, but I wanted to kind of take someone who has a, um, a different outlook on the Nuggets, not necessarily different, but a more unique approach to the way they view the Nuggets, So why I reached out to Matt Moore of the Action Network, who, if you know, might spend the most time thinking about this game and all of the layers of it of anybody that I know. He is... calling him neurotic is an incredibly good kind compliment because it sounds bad, but that man thinks in a way that I really appreciate and because of that, we were able to discuss quite a few different topics surrounding the Denver Nuggets, also the NBA as a whole and what is really holding the Nuggets back from being able to truly contend for an NBA title, which you know, of course is a lot of things holding them back and that's why I love this exercise so much is that I'm able to connect some threads between Brendan Vote of DNVR and Matt Moore of the Action Network and myself over at Mile High Sports and Blue Wire And then reach out to Harrison Wind of DNVR and Harris and uh, and Adam Marez and so many other people and see if we can create some kind of common consensus as to what the Nuggets need to address to become the best version of themselves. So you're going to hear a whole lot about that in this podcast. It was another very long one with Matt Moore. We also discussed some of the more bigger picture um, NBA stuff. The NBA recently put a two to four week time frame on their... Uh, to basically make a decision if they're going to try to restart the season. So Matt and I discussed that. We discussed possible changes to the league as a whole. We discussed different ways that teams could potentially try and save themselves from what is looking like it is going to be tax hell. We're going to talk quite a bit about the Nuggets and the city of Denver. We're talking about Nikola Jokic. We're going to talk about Michael Porter Jr. and just so many other things. So I hope you guys enjoy this show as much as I had recording it with Matt because I really did... Um, um, enjoy myself. It's been too long since I've been able just to kind of sit down and bullshit with good friends and people who have who you're really with every day at the Pepsi Center, you know, covering these games and Matt Moore, Adam Harrison, Brendan, Kendra, Jenna, Ryan, me, DeValle, there's so many people who are there on a daily basis. Jeff Morton that when we kind of get separated from them, it's like a piece of our uh, daily interactions have been kind of just stolen from us. So being able to have these conversations, these random, speculatory and conjecture-based conversations are something that I really enjoy. So hopefully you enjoy it as well. Also, as you heard at the very, very start of this podcast, Sue Bird and Megan Rapino have started a podcast called A Touch More that is now on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Make sure you go to wherever you listen to podcasts, Stitcher, Apple. Spotify, Google Podcast, whatever it may be, and make sure you subscribe to A Touch More with Sue Bird and Megan Rapino. That is going to be just a spectacular show. It's their repurposed Instagram lives, and it's really, really good. Also, last thing I'll say before we get into this break is this show is presented by betonline.ag. You're going to hear a whole lot more about them here in about 30 seconds, but I want to say thank you to them for allowing not just my podcast, but so many others in the Blue Wire Podcast Network to continue doing what they're doing and help be a benefit a factor to keep us afloat in that regard everybody needs to help everybody in this time and bet online has been a massive lift for me and for many others in the blue wire podcast network so listen to that read coming up and please go get that welcome bonus from them with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be entirely wrong our exclusive partner bet online still has hundreds of events games and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack they're bringing vegas to you missing the nfl no problem because bet online has live daily madden nfl 20 simulations that you can then bet on to get your fix in you can still bet on survivor big brother american idol even the stock prices and nathan's hot dog eating contest all of this is open 24 hours a day and all of it is entirely online that so you can do it from the safety of your own home. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code bluewire to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Again, go to betonline.ag and use promo code bluewire to join today to receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. So like I said on the intro, I have the pleasure of having a good friend and colleague, Matt Moore of the Action Network on the show and of Locked On Nuggets, I should not forget because I just had the pleasure of talking about all of Michael Porter Jr.'s defensive tools on that show for far too long. But please, Matt, introduce yourself and thank you so much for coming on. Hey, TJ.
0: What's going on, man?
1: How are you? I'm honestly just trying to stay as sane as I can. And honestly, my favorite question to start out these guest podcasts that I've been doing is what is the most bizarre thing you've done to keep yourself sane during this quarantine?
0: Uh, I think it's different when you have kids and we have multiple kids. I think that the biggest thing is just like you're the the things that keep you sane are the things are normal, are are normal things as opposed to like crazy things. Like um, there are things like, okay, it's Thursday, Thursday is Chipotle day. So like I order Chipotle, and that's like something I do every week to be like, here's like a nice thing that I can center my things around so that it, there's no chaos in chi- in the Chipotle burrito. There's well, not. A- <laughs> to say? Are you sure that yeah. that's what you want to say right now? <laughs> sure. So like you know, in the experience of eating this meal that I like, it's like there's a comfort. The other thing I think is that um, I've gotten, I've always like I cook. I'm the one that cooks in my family, and so. Um, I've spent a little bit more time on that. Like, I've dedicated, like, I've really focused on produce and like being very selective about what kind of produce I use. That's probably the weirdest thing that I've done. Is like, no, 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 no. like, I can't get those carrots. I need the organic carrots. Like, I need with the giant stem sticking out. Like all so, the my wife's like, what is in our produce store? Like, why is this thing completely full? And I was like, it's all full of, of goodness. And she's like, well, we can't eat all this. I was like, ah. ah, ah. Just wait, and so I'm grilling like lots of like I bought a dragon. Fr- I grilled dragon fruit. That's what? A thing. That's
1: a thing that people do regularly. Uh, it yeah, is. regularly is a stretch, but no, like it's a, it's not completely out of this realm of possibility.
0: No, it's like there are lots of, of dragon fruit recipes on the internet, and many of them involve it being grilled, and it was actually really good. That it came out as good as my grilled watermelon
1: wow i don't even know how to like respond to grilled watermelon like i've been to weirdo fairs where they fry everything you can think of but like grilled fruit in this capacity like i understand like grilled pineapple that goes well with a chicken and things like that but i've never heard grilled watermelon i've never heard grilled dragon fruit you haven't sent it to like hipster at the farmer's market on me without even me even realizing that it happened
0: yeah that's that's pretty accurate because like part of what you have to understand is my wife's vegetarian so oh, I didn't know that I'm, and she's also ex- exceptionally picky. Like she's a vegetarian for instance, that doesn't like salads with a lot of lettuce. So like imagine trying to cook for that person and, and I love her dearly and it's a challenge, but I, I try and rise to it. And so she likes watermelon and I try and incorporate like ingredients that she likes. And so I bought some salmon and I put it on, on a skewer and marinated it. And I marinated some watermelon in uh, a just a tiny bit of olive oil, lemon juice, and paprika. And you just cover it with that and you grill it. And then you put that on top of a small, like a very light bed of of spinach along with tomatoes and a vinaigrette. And it's actually really incredible.
1: No, that sounds fantastic. I like to cook myself. for all, So for all the crap that I'm throwing your way, I'm 1000% the same person. So this has been what I'm doing, but not nearly as health conscious as you. It's been like, how much pasta can I make at once? How much bread can I eat today? So at least you're focusing on important parts of your diet and not like me eating every grain in, in sight at this point, which is absolutely where I've been living.
0: I'm just glad you're still here. I'm just glad that you haven't like like done various I, I'm I'm glad that you're not mostly made of carbon monoxide at this point. I'm very happy that you're still just start like around
1: I'm not going to lie, my coffee input has gone down drastically because there's nothing I can do with the energy that 10 cups of coffee gives me when I'm stuck inside. And like running and working out on coffee does not necessarily add up in the way that I had hoped. So suddenly now my coffee intake has dropped drastically. But I think that's enough about my coffee intake. People talk about my coffee intake too much as it is, so... I'm going to transition now as terribly as I can into some NBA stuff because as things have evolved over the past few days, we're starting to now see timeframes get put on this idea that the league is going to make a decision on restarting the season. When you first saw the report that Adam Silver is looking to have a two- to four-week timeframe to make the decision, how did you immediately feel about that?
0: Uh, my first thought was that TJ is going to put out a response about how ridiculous and unsafe and dangerous yes. it is. That was my... That,
1: I'm happy that I'm living in the front of your brain that much. <laughs>
0: that, that was my first thought. And you you very much carried through within seconds yeah. of my of my prediction. Um, I'm not surprised based off of what I've heard. I'm not shocked based off of what I think the league's initiatives are. Um, I think a lot of it is there's a two to four time timeline to decide because you can't put it off forever. There comes a point where it's like, everyone i think is also tired of living in limbo i've had this discussion with friends a lot of they should just cancel the season and i'm like well why they, we, they, we don't know how this is going to play out yet like we need to see like what social distancing does to incident rates etc and we need to like wait and see what the public health experts say because all the health experts have said is not yet the health experts have not said like hey we gotta shut everything down for the next two years or otherwise everyone's gonna die like that's not what they've said yeah um like, I want to be very clear up front because there's a lot of confusion and everyone's taking sides and everyone's very understandably upset at the people that are taking the other side. And so we tend to extrapolate. Like, I want to be very clear. Um, Colorado has opened in large part. Like, there's been a a very what I think is a responsible opening of in gradual senses by Governor Polis on a good good plan set forth by the state's health policy department. Um, I am even not following that. Like I am being more conservative than that. Like we're still going to continue social distancing and staying at home, probably well after things have returned to normal for some folks. So like I'm on that side of it of being cautious. Um, I was also somebody that, if we remember, like in the beginning and that first week, the three days before the the Black Wednesday of the NBA. Yeah. Um. I was like, well, look. The experts have not said they need to shut the league down. The league. The experts have said, no, you're okay until unless there's and the, unless there's a case of incidents. Like we may have to go without fans. Um. And you need to like the league decided to restrict the media, which looks hilarious in retrospect. Um. <laughs> but like the, the league did all the all these types of things, and they followed what they thought were the advice the advice of experts in the field of what they should do. And it just turns out that this thing was further along than anybody really anticipated. Now, we should have anticipated it further, especially certain people with certain information that work in certain offices of certain governments should definitely <laughs> have been a little bit more on the ball. But, but uh, once Gobert came down, that was it. Like 24 hours later, everything's over. And my thing, I think, is I do not feel that the NBA, with Adam Silver in charge, with the people that I know that work in the front office, having had conversations with them, they do not strike me as reckless people. They do not strike me as uninformed people. They strike me first and foremost as lawyers that are concerned first and foremost with what's going to happen to them if they are responsible for something that makes them liable in a lawsuit. Like, that's
1: the most interesting part to me because like, it almost feels like that, like they were willing to do to make this decision because states had elected to open up a lot of these restrictions, which then kind of puts the blame towards the states, not to the NBA.
0: You could say that, but that's not the case. Like the lawyers are going to know if if there was an incidence of if there was a likelihood that they were going to be liable in a suit. Okay, that also indicates like a moral obligation, and that also indicates a PR problem. Like all these yeah. things are related, and so like. I want to be very clear on this. The NBA is a money-making venture and it is built for business and there's a lot of money involved. And a lot of people care about that money, not just the 30 governors of the NBA and not just Adam Silver. This has filtration and, and outlet. Like everybody suffers with the NBA out, along with all the other industries that we're seeing lose. But this money is a driving factor. Like, as much as like public safety is number one, you've got to be alive to spend your money. Yeah. That money also matters to a lot of people. And so that's going to be a driving factor. And I do believe that the NBA will always kind of protect the check, so to speak. However, the damage that would be incurred if they were to be reckless, these people are smart enough to know logically, is not worth it. So if the conversation is being held, we're now into an area where I believe the health experts are probably telling them. And like we've heard this on various podcasts, like Windhorse, right? Windhorse with Bond Temps is talking about this. This is about what can you take in terms of risk. And I think that writers with our lives are like, can't take any risk because we can live at home (laughs) and that's like fine with us. And like, we don't want to be like, we have to cover the athletes and we don't want to be responsible for being how a lot of old school media would be, which is like, put them back to work and have them take a pay cut. They need to give their share, like whatever this nonsense would be. Right. Instead, we took go a little bit too far the other way, which is where like nothing should ever come back. It should just be shut down until there's a cure, or like not a cure, but like until there's a vaccine. And it's just like, look, we are probably eighteen months still out, fifteen months away from a vaccine. Um, and in that time, if the NBA does not come back, you're ca- talking like there will be pretty catastrophic effects for people down the chain in the NBA. Now they don't care about that as much as they care about the billions that they would lose at the top. But there are reasons to go ahead and try this. And the biggest thing I think is. I think it's been smart to put this in the hands of the players and be like if you're not comfortable with it we're not going to like if the NBA had been like Chris Paul what do you think and Chris was like uh uh-uh, uh nope we're not going back to work this is an unsafe work environment no but that's not what's happening so I think the difference now is managing to find a way that solves the issue of personal responsibility and personal risk assessment like I'm a big believer that not just for the NBA but for every single industry if somebody's working from home and they're able to work from home and you say we're gonna reopen the office and we would like it if you came in any employee any employee that says i don't feel safe i have a mother i have a father that stays at home with me i'm i have a kid that's immune uh, that's immune compromised even with the small rate of incidence of this of this illness affecting children whatever it is that you that you want to use as like a fill in situation if that person says i'm not comfortable they do not have to go to work and they should not be pressured to go back to work and the same should go for the players but i do think i do think that it's okay for the nba to be like are we going to do this or are we just going to scrap it and if everybody goes let's try it let's make a run at it we're willing to accept the risk of making a run at it and we'll go from there and then from there it turns into all right how do we how do we how do we create a situation in which we limit the risk as much as possible and if the risk still occurs at least you made the effort to both return to work to return this industry to some degree to finish the playoffs, which matter a lot for play, for the players and their legacies, to provide the income that it would create, uh, and also to try and do it safely. And if you fail and there are cases of incidents, that's horrible. If there are fatalities, then everyone's going to have to live with that. But this is going to be our situation for the foreseeable future in all aspects of life, which is why like, we have to balance between, we're opening up for concerts and I'm not going to wear a mask and we have to shut everything down forever. Like there's, there is a line in between where we pursue smart solutions to these problems. And that's what I think the NBA is trying to do. Yeah, and I agree
1: with you. And to play devil's advocate again as to why they are going to have this time frame on is that they need to make this decision so that they can eventually get a cap number together for the next season. So they can have a draft. So free agency can eventually even open without being able to actually lock in a number for a luxury tax number or for a cap number. You're not even going to be able to have the idea of a next season. There are so many things that need to be put in a row to get to 2020-21. And I think that's a big part So when we remove the morality of this and we start talking about the mechanics of bringing back the NBA, do you have any ideas in your head about how they can kind of circumvent the disastrous potential of the cap falling drastically to where there's potentially 25 teams in the tax? Because it seems like you'd be able to smooth it, but... The players didn't want smoothing at one point. Maybe the owners don't. Um, when I talked to Jeff Siegel on my podcast, he brought up the idea of just eliminating the luxury tax or leaving the line where it is currently at. And then I've seen like ideas about expansion and things like that. Have you toyed around with any of those ideas in your head?
0: I haven't gotten to the cap stuff yet, I think in large part because it's all theoretical. I think the other thing to keep in mind is, um, well, the reason I, I'm hesitant to kind of engage in it Uh, is this is going to get probably pretty ugly. Yeah. Because when everything was great and everyone was making money, then the owners were willing to be like, okay, we got what we wanted in the last one. We're all making money. It's fine. So they backed off of some of the things that they still wanted from the 2011 lockout. And the players, because they were making so much money, were like, no, it's fine. As long as we don't lose anything else. It's fine. Like, it's okay. We feel better about our union now. We're not getting screwed. Okay, fine. Um, Everybody was happy, right? Yeah. And so now the problem is going to come where the owners are going to cry poor again, and the players are really tired of it. Like, they're just really tired of it, and they're tired of getting pushed around every time the owners feel like they're not making enough money off of their teams. Um they fought for guaranteed contracts. They feel like that's within their rights and they're going to continue to like fight these things. And the problem is it's just going to come down to the, one of the big things that we've noticed is, is just that the players wind up losing the PR side because people want games back. And that that's going to be difficult because the owners are never the ones like no matter how vitriolic Twitter gets towards owners, they'll never reflect the public sentiment, which is like, no, like owners are billionaires and they made their money and they're businessmen and you should go play because it's your job. We don't, we just don't tend to take the player's view no matter how recalcitrant the owners are because the common person doesn't really pay attention to the nitty gritty details. Like this is something I yelled about in the last lockout was like, look, if I felt like the owners had a side here, I'd side with them. They don't. They're just being greedy.
1: Yeah.
0: And in this situation, so many of the owners are going to genuinely hurt. Like Fertitta is like a big blaring warning sign right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are other owners that will not be in trouble, but they'll see this as an opportunity, right? It's leverage is what it is. Yeah. It's leverage to be able to be like, what do you want me to do? And at the end of all this, because they have a global pandemic to use, there's force majeure. And like, that's like, that's like a nuclear option, but it's also one that the league has that the players don't. Like, the players, to my understanding, do not have any sort of option. Like, they don't have a nuclear option like this. What's so interesting
1: about that nuclear option, though, is there's no mechanics in place that I have been able to find in the CBA about how it's supposed to play out. They don't know how many votes it's supposed to be. Is it a majority? Is it a 70-30 split? Is it just 51%? There aren't even mechanics built in the CBA to put these things into effect that I've been able to read or that Jeff Siegel has been able to read either, which I think makes this even more cataclysmic in that regard. No one knows what is coming if they put that clause into effect.
0: Yeah, and I think um, a lot of it's just going to be... This is stuff that's going to just be figured out on a very big, big power game scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that the idea of freezing the luxury tax in place is a good idea. Uh, of making those allowances is a good idea. I think probably what you have to do is you have to make some sort of concession for the idea of... Um, okay, if we're going to do this, then we also need to provide an amnesty clause. And that's like a big, you know, that's a big deal. But it's also like the amnesty clause because it's still like the players still get the money. Like they don't get wiped out. It just gets them off the cap, right? So you're able to amnesty them and pay them out over a certain amount of years that it doesn't go on the cap. That's probably like the most, the best option for a lot of these situations in order to alleviate the space is to be like, look, if you really want to sign somebody, let's use it like you can use your amnesty clause and clear this out. Um, and that forces them to make tough decisions, but that's also like part of it. And it probably also resets some things in a more normal way uh, where there are certain players that are given contracts because of high pressure situations where a team is like, we got to make this move to do this and that gives them the opportunity to go do things. Now the problem is <laughs> problem is like <laughs> what the owners should be thinking about before they they sign up for that is if you do not think that the Golden State Warriors will be like, oh look, we, we, have to see, we have to see Draymond Green and we let everybody except Stephen Clay go. Hey, Giannis. Yep. It uh, happens so fast, too. It's gonna be yeah. vicious when people start doing that stuff. Yeah, so that's the thing, is like there's a very good chance for the rich to get richer, which the the owners have also expressed frustration about. The biggest thing, I think, if we're gonna just talk like there's so many specifics to figure out before we get yeah. there. I, I think the big picture thing to remember is the lessons that we learned from the 2016. Cap spike, which is you need to consider the ramifications of your actions before you take measures to address your immediate problem. So, you know, just because you have an emergency, okay, I'm going to use this phrase and I regret it immediately. you shouldn't let the cure be worse than
1: that oh no oh man i'm not zencaster i can boot you right like that's possible
0: <laughs> yeah, and it would be and it would be deserved based on where that quote is from but like my point here is but I get your point it's it's a salient point for sure you don't you don't want to you don't want to respond to an emergency with a problem with something well here's a better like analogy that doesn't involve a terrible person so um in chernobyl have you seen chernobyl I haven't yet. I don't have the brain power to stay focused that
1: long, but continue. Okay, so in
0: Chernobyl, the reactor gets blown open and it's spewing radiation into the air. And so the guy that they call in that's an expert is like, we have to dump boron and sand on it in order to get it to cool down, or it's going to completely melt down, and everything is just going to get worse, and it's just going to continue pumping all these Hiroshima's into the air. So they get all of this boron and sand, and they dump it on top of it. And then this other lady from from like the leading Soviet expert at one of the universities comes in and is like, hey... So, you know, that makes lava, right? And they're like, yeah, no, we know it. There's no problem. We, before it hits anything dangerous below the ground, we'll be able to, to, to manage it. And she's like, yeah, except the, the, the tanks that you think are empty are full. And he's like, what? And it turns out like in an emergency situation, these tanks below the reactor had flooded with water. So lava is now reaching these tanks of compressed water that if once it melts, is going to cause a thermonuclear reaction that's going to wipe out like, It's like a 60 megaton Oh my God, yeah. Okay, this is an example, right? Of we're facing an emergency. We're going to do what we need to in order to address the immediate problem. And then the result was they created a nuclear bomb. So they had to solve that problem with very drastic needs that were equally terrible. So like, that's kind of the key here is if you're going to address this problem, you need to have a mindset of what's a solution that's going to take care of us now and down the line. And that's going to be really difficult because we don't know what the world is going to look like in two years because we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of how this stuff's going to affect us uh, economically, health wise, anything.
1: 100% agree. We don't know. Like, If there's one thing that I've said more than anything in all of my podcasts that I've done since March 11th, it's I have no idea. And that's just kind of where we're at with it. Um, but thank you for all of your insight on that. I thought it was a really good part of the conversation. But, this is a Nuggets podcast, and I want to get into some stuff because we're already 20 minutes in. And you have a list. We're going to do something that I did with Brendan Vote last time, where I'm calling it the State of the Nuggets, where I'm bringing in writers, media members who are around the Nuggets regularly to discuss what concerns they may they have that are holding the Nuggets back from true contention. Not maybe getting a top three, two seed, but actually being Western Conference Finals and Finals contenders on a regular basis and really proving that they have the chops to be in that conversation going forward. So Matt came with a list. I have my own list, but I'm just going to see what Matt has on his, and we're going to compare the two to see if we can kind of create some common threads as to what is holding the Nuggets back. So Matt, what is the first thing on your list?
0: The NBA market of Denver.
1: Interesting. Brendan did not bring this up. So I'm going to give the floor to you.
0: So last summer, the Nuggets front office reached out to two of the biggest, arguably two the two biggest free agents in the class through the representatives and said, we'd like to get a meeting with you We're a contending team in the Western Conference. Uh, We have the means to create space to sign you. We have a great atmosphere and culture. We'd like to have a conversation with you. They could not get a conversation. They could not get a call. They had longstanding relationships with one of them. They know them from way back. They could not get a meeting. They could not get a Skype. They could not get anything. They couldn't get anything. They couldn't get a FaceTime. Nothing. Yeah. Because Denver is just not a place where players go. It's not a place players go. That sparked in Denver, to my understanding, a reexamination of how they are going to have to build a contender. They cannot create cap space and sign a max free agent. Um, they added Paul Millsap, which is kind of indicative. I love Paul Millsap. It was a great signing at the time. He's been excellent. He is an underrated and amazing NBA player that will never get appreciated for how much he helps his team wins. He's also not a superstar. Yeah. And if you want to get to the next level and if you want to carry on your contention and if you want to be able to bring take a, a team that can win a title to a team that should win a title, you need superstars. And so the fact is, if the Nuggets were in these playoffs, if they brought the playoffs back and they were to get past the Rockets and then the Clippers all of a sudden, like everyone's shocked as the Nuggets whip them in five games, and then somehow, some way, get past the Lakers. LeBron gets hurt or... Um, they just like saw like Jokic just has like the game, the series of his life, or it's an amazing underdog story, whatever the nuggets make the finals. They still do not improve in the free agency market because of the perception of the city. Like it is seen very much. And like a lot of this is stuff that I can't really speak to. Cause I like, I can't, I can't relate the differences in an East coast city versus like what Denver affords, from the perspective of like an East coast a person that comes from an East coast urban black background, like that type of like, I can't put myself in those shoes. I'm not that person, but like talking to players, the sense I got is like, it's not that it's bad. It's just really different from what I know. And a lot of guys like they want places that they're comfortable and familiar with. And if they're not going to be comfortable and familiar with it, they want to go to the West coast where it's like beautiful weather and tech money. Like, So that problem, that combination causes, I think, a lot of issues. The fact that the fans in Denver that are not Nuggets fans, that are casual Denver fans, treat the team as like a sixth place option plays into this. It is not like you, it it is better to be revered by Boston's fans with all of the complications that come with Boston, mind you, than it is to be revered by Nuggets fans because it just seems like, well, we're all Broncos fans and like, oh, the Nuggets made the playoffs. That's cool. Like, you're Nuggets fans and then you're fans and you go to Rockies games because it's an awesome experience. And then, uh, oh yeah, I go to the Interstate Showdown every year and like I like the Buffs. Yeah, the
1: Western Showdown that they have over at the Denver Event Center, like those are all going to be raised higher. And like I made this same point. I was like the Nuggets are always going to be behind the Broncos because it's Broncos country, behind the Rockies because you can't get drunk on a rooftop in the sun, and behind the Avs because they don't have as many diehard Nuggets fans as there are Avs fans in Colorado. So this is, leads me to my next question in this part of the conversation. Do the Nuggets have any opportunity to
0: change that? Because in my opinion, they do not. So I think uh, the next five years presents an opportunity. Um, if they were to win, and like this sounds crazy because the idea of the Nuggets winning a title sounds crazy. Yeah. If they won three of the next five titles or two, let's say go two, if they won two of the next five title tino- titles and made uh, three to four Western Conference Finals in that time, if they had like a Spurs-type run between 99 and 05, okay? Okay um and as is going to happen the Chiefs won the next four or five Super Bowls um, okay. <laughs> I just like I tried to hold it in and let you finish your point and I couldn't
1: and I'm sorry <laughs> no, they're
0: like, uh, if the Broncos let's say that Drew Locke is not like I'm a i am I graduate from the University of Missouri big fan yeah. of Drew Locke uh, I'm from Arkansas big fan of the receiver they added um like I'm I'm there are things about the Broncos. I certainly am like, I hope the best for you, but I'm also just like, I don't know how you're going to beat us ever. I don't know how you're going to win the division or be us in a playoff game ever. (laughs) Um, And I'm willing to like, I'm willing to just be like completely arrogant right now because my team finally won the Super Bowl after 30. I'm just seven. so happy that you're cognizant that this is probably not true
1: in any capacity, and you no, have absolutely not guys. true. as a Chiefs fan, Mahomes is going yeah. to retire go to play baseball. This but is like, 100 what Raptors fans did when they won. They were like, "I don't yeah. care." The next 365 days is I am the champion of everything, and you're all just going to have to deal with that.
0: Yes, exactly. So, but anyway, but I am re- re- very serious at the point of let's, regardless of the Chiefs let's say the Broncos did not get back on top, that this yeah. year was disappointing and it was seven. Then they finished seven and nine again or six and 10. And then the next year it was like, okay, no, we've got it this. We've got it this time. And then they don't address the offensive line. Cause they never addressed the offensive line. And they're six and 10 again. All yes. right. At that point, the nuggets have now every year they, they really are there. If they win a title, I think it starts to change things versus like if a team wins a title in any of the other NBA cities, I'll, like, there will be a shift, right? But a lot of it, I think, is a comparable situation. I think, is Cleveland. Okay. Not to compare Denver and Cleveland because Denver is such a better city. Um, But, like, I was talking to fans in Cleveland during the last playoff series there. And I was talking to everybody I could get hands on. I was like, how do you, like, if LeBron leaves, like, how are you going to feel? And they were like, it's so much different than last time. I'm really okay with it. I just want what's best for him. He brought a title. He said what he was going to do. Like we should have probably had more of the Warriors happened. I can't blame him for that. We love him for what he's done for the city and what he's done for the area. It's just so much different. Like if that's, what's going to make him happy, then I'm okay with it. And it was like really healthy, but it was also, I also said like, so I was asking, I was like, wow, that's really great for you to say like the greatest athlete of, of in Cleveland history is like that way. And they're like, yeah. And then several people said this to me they're like, but like if Baker brings us a super bowl, that's bigger. Wait, really? That was like yeah. an actual consensus amongst yes. the fans this is a wow. this univer- is a universal consensus. Yeah. Go, ask, go ask Rowan about it um or one of the guys that's actually from Cleveland like go ask <laughs> them about it
1: like, <laughs> ask the Canadian about about Cleveland
0: no, <laughs> like yeah it. but like ask ask one of the actual Clevelanders about it and they'll yeah. confirm this that like LeBron is arguably the greatest player of all time. I think it's Jordan but as argue you can make that argument. He won a title beating the 3-1 Warriors and brought the Cavs – the Cleveland its first title in I forget how long, okay? Okay. Did all of this. He's from Ohio. He's from Akron. It is not enough because football is still king. And if Baker wins the Super Bowl with the Browns, he's bigger.
1: And I think that's really the crux of it is that as long as football is bigger – Cities like this will always be football oriented,
0: right? So, like, this is the thing if Jokic won three titles with the Nuggets and Drew Locke wins one, Drew Locke's bigger, yes. Now, and like, and like, that's a question, right? Like, Manning won one Super Bowl with the Broncos, one okay, had a absolutely like you could say they made the Super Bowl. I don't know if what that game counts as them yeah. making it, yeah. I agree. Okay. Uh, but if Jokic won three NBA finals. Manning would still be bigger. Oh, yeah. unquestionably. That's what he's done before.
1: Specifically in Denver, he would be. No, they would still be putting up Peyton Manning to get people to cheer on the Jumbotron at Pepsi Center and not Nikola. Like, I would 1,000% bet what I have on that.
0: Yeah. And so, like, and this is what's interesting is, I would think that, that Texas culture would be such that football is superior to everything. And it is but Dallas fans have a really strong commitment to that franchise because of Dirk. Like this is kind of the, of the thing is that Denver is going to have to either become Dallas or it's always going to be Cleveland. Yeah. And those are its choices. Like both, like that's one title for each franchise, right? Like that's one title for the Cavs, one title for the Mavericks, a lot fewer years, but still, um, And so, like, that's the comparison is, like, you don't need to put – you don't need to put – I'm trying to think – Joe Montana. You don't need to put Montana's picture up in the Dallas arena to get booze. Like, those fans are plugged in, and they're active, and they love their team, and Dirk's a a legend there. Yeah. He's a guy. And in the city, like, he's a real part of, like, Dallas sports culture because of what Dirk did with that team. And I think Nicola can do that with Denver – the question is, like, is anybody going to care? Like, if he goes if he goes to five Western Conference finals in eight years, that's insane. Like, that's bonkers. And I don't even think it would register unless they win the title. Like, I just, it's the bar is so incredibly high here that I think that that's a real limitation for them being able, if they're going to, like, this is the irony. They have to win the title in order for superstars to be, to, for in order for the fans to buy in to create a situation with superstars who want to come to help them win a the title. Yes, yes, it's like a chicken and an egg thing. But at the
1: same time, I, I still don't think it would be enough. I mean, the way that I look at this too right now with the Nuggets is that they already all of the building that they did had been destroyed in the past twelve months. They weren't on TV the entire season after they finally made the playoffs with a legitimate top ten player in Nikola Jokic, an extremely exciting young player Michael Porter Jr., and a great staff of role players around them. And then a pandemic strikes, and every Thing gets stopped in its tracks. Every little bit the Nuggets might have done to take their local audience and get them ingrained in the culture had been entirely reversed, and that's something that they might not be able to recover from. I also I mean, good. No, I don't know how you can recover from that because of the things that we talked about in the football sense and the way that these fans in Denver that are casual Denver fans, they just float with the wind to wherever they're getting taken to. If the Nuggets are not going to insert themselves into that conversation, they're not going to be able to. And of course, there's a lot of other nuance that needs to be added in terms of the issues with Comcast and everything, but they have to be able to be shown for them to get anywhere.
0: Yeah, and I think part of this also gets into... um like we talk about the market. Another thing that kind of has to be factored in here is uh, you have to make yourself attractive as an NBA city from a player perspective too, which means that Kronky is going to have to get off his tail and actually move out Elitch gardens and put in the new facility. Like they need a practice facility and they need like, everybody's ready for it. Everybody wants it. The basketball operations know how important it is. Like you need to have a thing to show the players that, It would be really awesome to live downtown, to bike to the to the practice facility at Ealich. That's a beautiful new facility. I've got all the accoutrement. I've got a cryo, you know, freeze chamber and like all like a special like kitchen that's got great food and like the best equipment for me to train. Like you need all that. Like you You need need to get get versus like versus like, hey, we redid the locker room. Like Good, but, you know, and so like this is like the kind of thing is you just like the they need more stuff to be attractive to players than than just you can play with Nikola Jokic because you can get Paul Millsap, but I don't know who else you can get.
1: I completely agree. I'm sorry I cut you off. I get too excited about this topic in particular. But like, you don't even have a parking facility that's indoors. You have chain link fence. So like, People aren't going to want to walk through the five degree weather when it's snowing in December to get to their cold car and warm it up. Like, there are just basic things that just ma- basically make it more difficult for players to want to be in Denver when they're just small little issues. But we've really gone through this one quite a bit. What's the next thing on your list?
0: Um, game operation.
1: Interesting. I also didn't have this on my list. What's what? What about game operations?
0: So I I believe that there's like a sense of like a lot of this is um in order to instill the kind of confidence that you need, it needs to seem cool, and there needs to be the right atmosphere. And a lot of NBA arenas have that atmosphere. Portland has that atmosphere. Dallas honestly has that atmosphere. If you watch, if you if you're old enough to remember the Bulls, like that music playing as the Bulls were introduced was intimidating as hell. Yeah. Like terrifying right with the dramatic music and everything Um, I just think that in a lot of ways the Nuggets game Operation night has is a little bit too ABA goofy Um, I I think look uh, no matter what you say and I do not want to hear your opinion on this McBride uh, (laughs) Supermascot Rocky is a legend (laughs) he's a god and much of the stuff much like 90% of the Supermascot Rocky material is golden like Benny the Bull may be the GOAT, but I think that that Rocky is like the most underrated. This does not matter, but what does matter is like when you have like goofy segments that don't hit and the crowd's not engaged and nobody is like when your atmosphere is not one of intensity in a market like Denver, it does not come across well. It winds up feeling like an LA Chargers game. And that's a problem. Like there needs to be a reformatting of the experience. To be a lot more intense, to be a lot more driven, because the crowd has honestly shown up the last two years. Totally I mean, agree. I, I, I have having. I got here in 2012, and I saw that year, and was stunned when it was like late in the season, and they were facing the Spurs that were competing for. Let's see, it was 13. Like that team ended it making the Western made the finals. Like yeah. the Spurs made the finals that year. And yet it was like a it was a Saturday. It was a, a weekend game versus the Spurs, and the and the arena was like half empty. And I was like, "What is going on?" For a team that won so many games, like they just they never bought into that team, and they bought into this team. And that's that I think is a testament to the value of home growing your own guys. Like it's really fun to go root for Jamal and uh, MPJ and Jokic and Gary because like those are your guys. Um. I just think that the the game operation needs to be a little bit cooler, needs to be a little bit branded better, needs to have a little bit better feel. Um, Pepsi Center is in and of itself very bland. It's just an arena. Like it does not have its own feel. It does not have its own aura. It's just a large gathering place. Um, When we're able to have fans back, uh, they need to do something to change that sense I wanted to list this one because like so many of the basketball centric stuff, one is discussed a lot, but two is patently obvious. And we'll get into those like later, but I did want to kind of mention that like the, the day, like game days need to feel different in Denver.
1: I couldn't agree more and being in san antonio for the playoff series compared to being back in denver for when the nuggets took on the spurs there was a shift it was very very different and i think the word that i would use for the difference between the two fan bases is it's natural it wasn't like they were trying to force this particular sound from the fans at all time they just allowed fans to be fans and to buy into the team and be a part of that community and right. i don't know what you would need to do to create that environment but it felt way more natural to me when i was well, a-
0: i think to their credit I- I think this is a challenge because half the time in the regular season, nobody's engaged. Like yeah. th- there are times there've been great games again this year. There are, there've been awesome fans, but a lot of the times, like no one's engaged. They're just kind of there. And the, the team has warranted some of that by how they played in the regular season this year. And then if we go back to the playoffs. They got booed into halftime of their own damn game two. And like, well, game
1: two of the second
0: series game two of the first series. Well, not, not only that, but like, that It's worse to me in the second round. Because the first round, I get it. Because you're like, you're going to lose in the first round again. We went through this entire thing. And you're going to bow out in the first round again. That I get. But once they won that first series, for you to go against the Blazers and boo your own guys going into the locker room, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what are you? Like, that crowd was one of the worst I think I've ever seen for a playoff game in terms of their attitude. Like, they're everybody was unhappy because it was snowing. And they'd just been to the Avalanche game like the night before. And people were really like kind of like there was an exhaustion from the sports at that point because Denver hadn't done this in a while. Yeah. And and it was just like that that game two game two versus Portland was like a real low point. Now, like they came back and I thought we were great in in game five and game seven. But, you know, like these are the types of little things that that the game operations folks have to find a way to spark the right feel from the crowd like memphis went grit grind and people went for it like they they built a whole culture based around the city i think it's tough with denver but they're gonna have to find it
1: i agree uh what's the next thing on your list
0: uh next thing is backcourt size
1: yes i have this on my list okay um i'm gonna give you the floor again but i definitely got thoughts on this one so go ahead
0: Okay, so I just finished for Locked on Nuggets. We did a great episode with Adam, and it's going up today as I record this. Um, what we did was we put together the perfect Jokic lineups. Like, if you could have anybody. Like, if you weren't going to just be like, oh, it's Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and LeBron James and, uh, and Damian Lillard and Jokic. Like, if you're actually going to build, like, lineups that were centralized around Jokic, what do they look like? And all mine, the number one thing I addressed was backward size, was when you have Jamal who's 6'1", and you have Gary, who's 6'3", you have to have better length inside. They they struggle too much with any wing of any... Like, versus the Clippers, they're going to have such a hard time because they have to play their four on their three, and they have to play their three on their two. And so then the two is going to have to play either the... is going to have to play, like, either their four or their one, and then what do you do with Jamal? So, like, it causes all these problems where... Um, Gary got really good at guarding clay Thompson cause he did it so often. And he figured out ways to disrupt clay by reaching in and disrupting him on the catch. Like, okay, he's going to catch the ball. I'm going to immediately going to bother him. So he can't just raise up and fire. Like Gary learned all these ways to bother clay Thompson and clay can still put up 30 anytime just because he could shoot over him. Like there's just only so much that Gary can do. Like if they had a point guard who's six, six or six, four or six, five, you're fine. But the combination of 6'1, 6'3 is too small given the size of the NBA guards at this point. There just aren't as many short guards. And like you can make it work under certain circumstances. Also, like if Jamal were an awesome defender, it would probably be better, but he's not. So a bad small defender, well, he was okay this year. Um, An okay small defender and a 6'3 great defender is not better than two okay six four and above backcourt guys like and it would be okay if only one is taller but you this is i've been talking about this pretty constantly i think we're gonna see a reformatting of the team going into next year i think they're gonna look different to start next season and the biggest thing i think that's gonna change is their backcourt's gonna be bigger because it just doesn't really matter how good gary is he just can't do it because of the size differential and that sucks and i hate it because i love gary harris as both a player and as an interview guy I love everything about Gary Harris. I want the best for him, but it's just really difficult with how, like, they gave Jamal a max contract. Yeah. And once you commit to that, you're like, how do we maximize this? And the way that you maximize an MPJ, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic team is you're going to have to get a pretty big two guard that can defend.
1: And they compounded the issue by having Will Barton play out of position at small forward as well, which was at no fault of his own, and he was much better at points this year defensively as well. But if you're going to be that small in the backcourt, your wing has to be able to cover a lot of ground, and they did not have that. And this was one of the biggest reasons that when I look back at a couple drafts, the one kind of archetype of player that I was clamoring for was a Shea Gilges alexander type, or even Justice Winslow going back a little farther, where you have these big-bodied guards who can handle the ball. Because I think one of the biggest issues in Nugget's have is that every one of their guards needs a screen and they're not able to get around guys whether that's size or not they need to find a way to create that and I think you also need the size defensively just to keep guys in front of you when teams, when teams run Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic in a pick and roll they are just collapsing this team over and over again because Jamal Murray can't stay in front of guys and Nikola just isn't quick enough to be able to guard multiple bodies at the same time no matter how smart he is so when I look at this team then How do you address that? Because like you said, Gary Harris kind of has to be the guy. The max contract is essentially, you know, it makes Jamal Murray locked into Denver for at least the next 18 months in my eyes. Things obviously change in the NBA, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. So who's even available? How do you even address that issue? I don't know where you go from here.
0: I think, so here's one of my big problems is, if you had asked me how tall Bradley Beal was last year Mm -hmm. in preseason, <laughs> uh I say that he's 6'6. I would I, I had this conversation like 2 days ago. I said the same thing. And he's and <laughs> 6'3. He's the exact yeah. same height as Gary. Yeah. I will say though that there is there's there's height and there's the size that guys play at and those are two very different things. Beal plays pretty big. Like he feels very big to me. He's able to And he was also really great defensively in Washington. And I think yeah. that um, and now everyone's going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, not this year.
1: <laughs> no, you got to go back to when he cared about defense and there was a reason for him to play defense.
0: Yeah. And like, look, let's be honest. Like nobody cared. Like, I don't think Scott Brooks cared about defense this year. I think Scott was like, guys, let's just go score some points. Like, yeah, yeah. Hey, let, let's, let's run the weirdest combinations of offense we could possibly do. And it works. It was, their offense was great. Um, but Beale, when he when he did care, was really good defensively, and I think he can be so again. I don't think he can be better than Gary in terms of his technique, but I don't feel that you you feel the size differential as much. You're not gonna pick on Bradley Beal. Like that's yeah. not gonna happen. And so I think Beale's fine. Drew Holiday is a great fit. Those are two guys that have like direct connections that I think that you can address. Um, one guy, there's a couple of guys that I think that you could probably like go look at to improve things. Um, Mars is very big on the idea of adding Chris Paul and moving Jamal to the two. Yes. And that way you're still, you're still small, but Chris is so good defensively that you're at least able to say that whoever like Chris is guarding is going to score less, mm-hmm. like is going to score fewer points. Um, and it allows you maybe to hide Jamal a little bit more. Um, there's also the possibility of just being like, all right, we're just going to play Jamal and we're going to move Will to the two and MPJ to the three. The problem I have with that is like, you now have defensive weak points at one, three, and five. No matter how good Jokic is in the specific scheme that he has given, and he has been really good this year, he is still a liability. You cannot switch with Jokic. Yeah. Like, the the coaching staff doesn't dispute this. Like, the coaching staff is like, like when I brought the, the subject up and was like, so what are you going to do in the playoffs when you have to switch? And they're like, why would we switch, Matt? And I was yeah. like, well, everybody has to switch. And they're like, no, we don't we get to decide how we defend you now that means we may have to make adjustments given what we'll have to leave open but we do not have to leave nicola on an island They were are right so a lot of this gets into like how are you going to play how are you going to scheme i think that there are probably options you can also look in the draft and that's like an option there are also going to be guys that don't work out with their teams and that you can add here in a couple of years like if you don't take the shot this year you can take the shot here in a couple of years if like let's say that Atlanta goes in a drastically different like direction and adds a a big upgrade in a wing to pair with Trey and John Collins. I think Deandre Hunter is going to be an above average defender with yeah. some good side in him. So like Deandre Hunter is the type of guy I would be looking at. There's actually some guys out of Phoenix, Kelly Oubre. Like you have, I you have options that you can target if you're just like, look, we're going to reformat, but we got to get a bigger wing. You can do that. The problem is, is Gary is so good. You have to get a star in order to get to trade Gary Harris.
1: And that's the toughest point, is that a lot of these bigger-name guys that are immediate upgrades that you're going to look at, every team that they play for, whether it's Washington or New Orleans or Chicago and Zach Levine or whoever it may be, they're like, listen, we want Michael Porter Jr. It's going to be the starting point of almost every conversation, and I wonder how much that is going to prevent the Nuggets from being able to actually make a deal like this. But honestly, that kind of feels irrelevant right now I wonder how many players are going to end up being cap casualties if this if this cap number really falls as much as it as it could and if there's potentially more names out there that you wouldn't expect I wonder how that's going to play out Um, because I do think there might be more names that maybe aren't as flashy like you said a Kelly Oubre is a great name that I really have always wanted Denver to grab but We'll have to just wait and see who's available. But I agree, they're stuck right now without having enough size in their backcourt, and it has drastically limited their ability. Um, do you like Zach Levine? By the way, is that an idea that you've kicked around, especially now with our Carne kind of in Chicago? Has that been something that you've thought about?
0: I mean, I, I mentioned him on my list of guys that they, they could put, conceivably trade for. Okay. Um, so out to, out me, the, to me, the three names are Drew Holiday, Bradley Beal, and Zach Levine. Yeah. Okay. Right. Chris Paul, I think is really hard to make the money work and that's that's why that's a problem so uh it's kind of weird so here's the deal i like zach levine (laughs) in in the same way that i like certain goofy pop music like
1: (laughs) is this your little nosex guilty pleasure player is that what this is
0: that's perfect okay (laughs) i like i don't think old town road is a great song I think it is immensely popular, and it's very catchy, and I love singing it to you to drive you insane.
1: Oh, uh, Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> and,
0: and like the same way, I would love it if the Nuggets got Zach Levine, because you and I sit next to Adam Mares.
1: Oh, God. It would be absolute hell for him. He would have to move seats. He might
0: quit if he had to deal with that. It would be absolute torture. Um, that said, the impression that I have gotten... Is that it is unlikely for that to occur? Mm. Uh, that the attitudes of the people involved, like, I think a deal with Chicago is possible. I do not feel that is a player that they would want to trade. Like, I cannot see a scenario barring a demand. Like, that can happen. Like, maybe Gary is just like, I'm tired of being in trade talks. I'm tired of dealing with Nicola, like, spacing out for a month. I'm tired of being injured. Uh, I'm tired of having the same core injury every year. I'm out. Yeah. And that can happen. Like Gary would, and like the minute that Gary Harris is just like, Tim, it's not personal. I'm not like, you know, I'm not fuming. I'm not throwing a tantrum. I just would rather go somewhere else. Tim's going to be like, give me an hour. And Tim would go make the calls. Yep. And he would find Um, the best
1: place possible for him too.
0: Yeah. And he would. So like, that's the situation in which that could happen. But boy, like, let me put it this way. If Zach, if the Nuggets trade for Zach Levine, they're not going to win a title.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. That would be a setup move, too, I feel like. But at the same time, Tim Connolly, even though he's incredibly intelligent in the types of players that he brings to Denver, he has a soft spot for players like Zach Levine, like Will Barton, like Nick Young. He has a little bit of that like street ball flavor in his soul when it comes to watching players, and I wonder if there's a little bit of that in there. I disagree. Really? Oh, man, I feel like he loves those kinds of guys, even if he knows it's not conducive to winning.
0: Um, I just see that that's the thing that was like.
1: Again, he doesn't make these moves because he likes those guys, and he doesn't go out there and look for them. But he has his.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, one, I think categorizing Will that way is a mischaracterization. Fair. Especially with where he was in Portland, because he wasn't thought of as that kind of guy. He was thought of as pretty versatile, and he's been in, there,
1: well. in Baltimore though, where Tim knew him. He grew up playing
0: mm-hmm. that style of basketball.
1: That's where the but he often
0: comp- going in that he could rebound. Yes, hundred percent. Um, Nick Young was an emergency. Like, <laughs> an emergency i'm gonna throw this guy a bone because i knew him from washington thing. yeah that's fine and like we saw how it ended right like very quietly and very much oh, like no.
1: like, have i told you my story of how nick young walked out of the pepsi center yeah. oh yes. god my favorite absolute favorite moment continue though sorry
0: uh and then and so like i i i look levine's really talented his numbers are good he has that like high scoring capability um it's just like he doesn't fit with Jokic. He doesn't solve any of their problems. He's not going to be better defensively. Part of the problem is, like, if you do any cursory examination of the Bulls, because I was like, oh, hey, the Bulls are 12th in defense. <laughs> like, Zach Levine must have turned. Nope. It was every single second Zach Levine didn't play. They had, like, a 114 defensive rating when he was on the floor. Yeah. Like, it's absurd. They had a one- They had the 12th best defense in the league at one point. This was, like, a month ago. Or a month before suspension. Sorry. Time is. Yeah. Time
1: doesn't exist anymore. It's okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, but anyway, a-, a month before the sus- league suspension, uh he the bulls were like 12th in defense and yet they were they would have been like 28th with with living on the floor wow like it was yeah it was absurd it was just crazy so he doesn't solve any of the problems he doesn't really fit with the team i don't see it, it doesn't mean it can't happen and it doesn't mean it can't work because weird things have worked in the past but yeah. i don't see it as being a, a very likely possibility
1: the last thing I'll say about this is that Zach Levine turning the corner on a DHO at Nikola Jokic and going downhill with shooters around him is absolutely all of the fun that I can imagine. But again, that's just completely selfish wanting to watch Dunks. So not necessarily well, conducive to winning.
0: Right. But the other thing I would, I would also say, uh, if you want look, if, if you want the, the Galaxy Brain approach, what's been, what's been the conversation in the last two weeks about the Warriors?
1: in what way you go ahead and just make your point because this is going to be something that I fall into and I have no idea what's going on.
0: So their entire, the, when they traded for Wiggins one, when they signed D'Angelo Russell, but then later when they traded for Wiggins, the entire concept is now you have a contract that you can pair with picks to offer for Giannis Oh. So if you trade Zach Levine and you have Zach Levine in two picks, would you rather have Andrew Wiggins in two picks or Zach Levine in two picks? Zach Levine.
1: It's a pretty easy statement for me.
0: So there's like a galaxy brain take is if you want the reason to trade for Zach Levine, you can use him as fodder in a Giannis Kumpo trade that will never happen.
1: Yes. And not to say that the Nuggets feel this way in any capacity.
0: No, no. That's again. a justification you could use for it.
1: But even if they wanted to feel this way about Jamal, making a deal to send Jamal to get Zach Levine opens up future money for you to then move Zach Levine and create a whole lot more opportunities for yourself going forward as well. Which, again, I do not think the Nuggets feel that way, but mechanically, it's sound. Um, Matt, what's your next thing on your list? I feel like we've gotten through this size and the backcourt thing pretty heavily.
0: Uh, my fourth thing is chemical sustainability. What? Yeah. So (laughs) what we're talking about here is we already have seen this year that the chemistry is not the same as last year. Okay. Um, that last year was really fun and everybody was engaged and driven and on a mission and they accomplished that goal. And then they came into this year and it was like, Oh, another six months of the regular season before we got to play again. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, oh, the Magic, we're down four to the Magic. Guess we should try for a quarter. Oh, we're down eight to the Cavs. Well, we'll just try in the f Oh, no, Colin Sexton hits some shots. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Like, the Nuggets just basically have to ask their way through an NBA season, which is hard to blame them for because the coach entered the season talking about we're playing 100 games now and yeah. then decided about 10 games in that he had made a huge mistake in telling them that. <laughs>
1: I immediately reverse course to oh no
0: I need you to try and they were like sorry bro I already put on the, the, the cruise control like <laughs> it was over like autopilot was already set so um, the chemistry is going to change year to year and that's pretty normal but the problem the bigger thing is MPJ gets chance from the crowd and is probably going to be the most sold jersey within two years if he stays healthy, almost all of us agree that he will be the most popular player on the Nuggets. Um, most of us agree that he would probably be the next player chosen as an All Star. Yeah, he is very likely to lead the Nuggets in scoring within the next three to four years. Yeah, um, there's a possibility of him being a legitimate superstar. How's Jamal Murray going to feel about that?
1: I got deep into this part of the conversation with Brendan Vote. I don't think they fit on the court together in any meaningful way. I don't. And I think there's a a way they could. I don't think either of them will be able to shift the way they play so drastically to accompany the other player.
0: I don't even really care about the encore stuff because there's a lot of stuff with this team that doesn't make an inherent sense. Like <laughs> Jamal Jamal and Joker should not fit, but they've just basically hammered Jamal into the H like they made a square peg into a diamond shape. Or- <laughs> The same thing. They made Jamal into like a star shape. Yeah. That's what they did. It was like they reconfigured him into what they needed him to be. And he's a really good pick and roll partner with Jokic. Now I think that there's only two ways that Jamal operates, which is either he's running pick and roll with Jamal or with Jokic 40 times a game, or he's just kind of like a does the little things off ball shooter. And I like him a lot more in the latter category, but that's not who he thinks he is. Yeah. The bigger thing is just like, Jamal was frustrated. He got hurt this year because he wanted to make a push for all-star, which none of us think it was going to be realistic based off of how he had shot or scored or done anything. Yeah. Like the nuggets at that time were either first or second in the Western conference. And Jamal was still like, I'm really like was mad because he wanted to make an all-star push. Like that's what he thinks he is. And I don't blame him for having goals and ambitions and for believing in himself, given some of his scoring nights Um, but I think it's hard to be that guy. If MPJ so easily is that guy, like one of the things I talk about with Adam a lot is if you like, no matter my small critiques of, of MPJ, there were so many nights when he was nine of 10 from the floor, Yeah, 10 of 11, eight of eight of 11, there were nights when he was like two of seven, but in general, the nights that he was on, like he just scored with insane efficiency and that's how you rack up points really quickly. Like it's just easy for him. Like they're just, it's evident to anybody that watches him that when he's healthy buckets are easy for him and everything's tough for Jamal and he has trained himself to be able to do all the tough stuff. And that's what makes him such an admirable NBA player and really good and is going to have a long career. But I do not know how this is going to work. If Jamal, like I don't think Jamal wanted to be the number two guy when he was drafted. Yeah. And in time he's learned to accept where he's at and like, okay, well at least I get the score if he loses that, then what? Is winning going to be enough for him? Because I don't know if it is. If they win a title, maybe. But, like, I don't know if that's going to be enough. Then you've got, you know, like, look, Paul is probably transitioning to a to a reserve role next year. Um, Jeremy's pretty easy-going, go with the flow, so that's probably fine. But in time, they will bring in, there will be other guys added to this team, no matter what, that will have different, attitudes. And some of those guys will give them the edge that they need and create a healthy tension. And some of those guys won't and will be a problem. And You and I in our time covering the Nuggets together have already seen those types of guys. Like veterans that thought that they were going to bring this brilliant perspective and knew so much about it and they weren't really helpful. Like there's already been all these, these types of situations. And then on top of it all is Nicole is making $35 million now. Yeah. And he's dealing with a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and a lot of focus and we're already we've already seen him like retreat more and that changes a guy like guys also change as they get older they go from the scrappy plucky happy kids to the attitudes that Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant had circa 2015 2016 and those guys were just very like i spoke to the thunder when they were kids in a preseason game versus the Miami Heat in 2010 okay in okay. Kansas City, Missouri, I went in and hung out in the locker room and, like, I got to talked to Durant and Westbrook and Harden because they were, like, Durant was a star, but nobody else was.
1: Yeah. And it was Oklahoma City. So, like, back there weren't millions of people in the room at any given time.
0: Right. Especially for a preseason game in Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. And they were just like, they were all happy and they all liked each other and there was such a great vibe. And then, like, five years later, it's entirely different because egos and money and agendas and everything else gets in the way and people just grow and change so like that's part of the thing that's going to be really hard for them is nicole is already not a difficult personality i wouldn't say that but he's a different personality he's not your normal nba personality and so like making that work is already not a challenge but it's something to be adjusted to it's not simple yeah um And then on top of it all, you have to have all these different other things. Like the core has to stay together and not suffer a devastating blow that causes tension in a way that implodes or that costs somebody their job. And like, look, the Rockets in 2016 just imploded. Just imploded. And, you know, Mikhail lost his job and Dantoni comes in and everything and they trade Dwight and everything changes and they go on. They're very successful. But, this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about where you have to maintain this kind of like that chemical sustainability is very difficult to handle.
1: Yeah. When Michael Malone was on the conference call he did with nuggets media, uh, I would say, I don't even know a month ago, what again, whatever his time is, he talked about how chemistry and that, the ability to have continuity is actually a double-edged sword because it creates contentness and people don't always push as hard because they know each other so well and they are so comfortable. And I think another part of this is that it has been ingrained in them that it's an 82 game season, it's very long, you need to be ready for the playoffs, and they over-accentuated that. And without having enough new voices of people who have had different experiences from this roster that has been together virtually for fit for five years now, it's hard to have those voices. That chemistry become becomes stale it can still be good chemistry and also not be advantageous to growing as a team and i think that might be where the nuggets are getting to
0: yeah and that's like that that's a i think that's a pretty accurate assessment of of things uh you want to hear my last thing yes i do my last thing is Nikola Jokic as a leader oh okay go ahead floor is yours again uh so Joker was better in the playoffs than I ever thought he could be and I thought he could be good I was like yeah he could be good like he could be like really good in the playoffs but he was a monster he was dominant he was incredible and he cared he was so engaged and he was like pumping up teammates and leading huddles and showing emotion on the court and he cried after they lost that game seven which I have so much freaking respect for him like going in there apologizing to Malone that makes me like love that kid even more and then he comes back and in preseason he says, Well, I'm not the best player on the team. We're all in this together. <laughs> <laughs> Playoff like,
1: Nicola and regular season Nicola are could not be more different in terms of how they approach this game. And
0: like he has to count like he's just gotta get over. I think MPJ becoming a superstar would be really good for him. I agree. I think having somebody to take that stuff would be good. I think having somebody to take the spotlight so he could just come in, do his job, and go home and play video games would be really good for him.
1: And I think he knows it, and I think he's trying to make that happen.
0: Yeah, and I think he's... I think he would be fine having a, a Zydrunas Elgowskis-type career. And but he's not... Like- and like, that sounds insanely insulting. Big Z in the day got buckets. Yeah. Like, Z in the day was a phenomenal score on a garbage-ass team. <laughs> but he was really good, and that's one of the reasons that he and LeBron became close. Is like, Z was consistent and was there for him and worked hard and played hard. Now, like, Jokic is a million times more talented. And this is the part of the problem is, like, Joker's, Joker's more talented for... He's too talented for what he's comfortable with. Yeah. And so I don't know that MPJ is ever going to be that. And I, I do, I feel 85, 90% confident that Jamal Murray will never be a more impactful or better player than, than Joker. So the question is, have it within him. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, I don't see the joke. I don't see that the Nuggets drafting anybody who's going to be better. I don't see them signing anybody who's going to be better. So Joker's going to be the best player player on the team and at some point he's going to have to accept that the thing is is like he wants to win I had questions about that going in Like my questions about him in the playoffs was I know he loves to play I don't know how much he loves to win and I got into what I would say is quite a bit of interesting conversations this week with various NBA future Hall of Famers about how much you should want to win um and while i believe that there is a problem with the idea of hating to lose to the degree that you're willing to ber- berate and tear down teammates i don't worry about that with joker but what i do worry about is like him being passive aggressive because he's done that like yeah. this is the only thing about him that drives adam nuts is how much he mopes yeah and even if adam's like you're right about it but still and i think that this is like this is this is like a key thing is he's got to come to a point where, okay, if they're not playing the right way, then you just need to go out and score 30 points and then get the win and then try next game to play better. Like for the, for the whole team to play better. Like no matter what, they're going to need you. Like they're just going to be nights when they don't have it and they're not converting buckets or they're not cutting or they're not playing the right way. You're the best player. You're the superstar. You're the highest play player on the team. Go get 30 points and call it a night. And like, I don't even like it that much when Joker's scoring. I like it when he's passing. My ideal yeah. Joker game is like, 24, 12 and eight. I just
1: love 24 isn't scoring, but
0: continue. Yeah. But like, that's the thing though, is like he, you know, he never really pushes the envelope on scoring. He very rarely pushes the envelope on scoring to, to his credit. Cause he's always going to like, they're going to double him, and he's going to find the open man. That's what makes him awesome. But there are going to have to be nights where he's just willing to take that on. And he's, and there's gotta be nights when there's just also got to be a sense of him holding everybody accountable. Yeah. Like, we don't ever get that sense in the locker room. Maybe that's the case. Maybe we're wrong.
1: And you it, know, maybe, maybe they're
0: hiding it, that, or right? maybe we just haven't asked in the right way.
1: Yeah, and that's but, too, because asking Nicola questions about this is so incredibly difficult because he doesn't want to make it about him, and he also doesn't want to open up about being a leader.
0: Yeah, and also, like, I think... But I do think that we've gotten some pretty honest implications from some of the other guys. Yeah. Um, like, my, my favorite moment of the season, and it was a key one, was when, um, I believe it was Brendan... Very predictably, (laughs) uh, asking Will, do you get the sense in these situations that like you guys just need to get him the ball more? And Will goes, Yeah, you know, I think we can do some things better. And he stops for a second and thinks. And he just like decides, like, nope, I'm not gonna play the game. I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna give the the answer that, that that I'm supposed to give. Yep. And was like, No. Like he's the best player, he gets the ball in every possession. Like, sometimes we just gotta go out there and do our jobs. Yeah. And like I love that from Will. Like I love that from Will. Because that's the reality is like, no, it's not like we because Nicole is a superstar the same way that 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 the Bay Area does it with Curry and Oklahoma City did it with Russ and Houston does it with Harden. We make excuses and extrapolations about their limitations in order to be like, well, you have to really understand it. If you understand it, it's not bad. And it's like, no, like there are bad things about all players. Yes. LeBron's a control freak, control freak. And he's a drama queen, like undeniably. And you can
1: argue that he doesn't have as many titles under his belt because of the decisions he has made based on those
0: kinds of traits. Right. But that's who he is. Yeah. And you take it because you do get the titles. And so that's part of it is um, we can be honest about the fact that Nicola has struggled with the identity of being the team's best player and being the guy. He's, He's just always struggled with that. And at some point he needs to accept that and he needs to embrace that And he does it in the playoffs, or at least he does it on the court. And maybe that's all that matters. Maybe that is all that matters. But I think for them to be truly great and awesome, he is going to have to have a very nuanced understanding of his team beyond how to effectively pass to them.
1: And it's going to take time for that to develop because this is against his nature. From what I understand of Nikola Jokic, which seems like very little, to be honest, but it feels like it's against his nature. He's a bird! And as much as I wish he was a supercomputer, he's a bird. And it's just something that we have to accept and see how he evolves. So much of this is just letting Nikola Jokic evolve as he may. Because when you have a player as unique as him, you should not force him into a box, because it kind of takes away from what makes him so unique and so great. So that's definitely where I fall on it. But I agree, he's going to have to insert himself more, and he did throughout the season. Katie Wingy did a a fantastic job of making sure she reported on the fact that Nikola Jokic would grab the whiteboard from time the time he would get after not after guys but he would raise his voice above normal levels in huddles late in games and really bring guys together so maybe he's slowly inching there he's not anywhere where he needs to be but it does seem like maybe he's on that path do you have anything else to say about Nikola Jokic
0: um just that I really do believe that he could become Denver's Dirk yes I and he wants me said that I see a lot of parallels between those two. Like everyone thinks that that's like lazy because they're both white Europeans um, that are tall, but I'm like, no, it's not about that. It's about how nobody thought that Dirk, that a a seven foot German kid was going to become beloved by Dallas in basketball. And he was, and Dirk was uncomfortable and awkward and took things really emotionally and was immature young in his career and grew into like one of the most respected guys in the league. And it's funny because I'm looking back on, I'm doing so much Jordan research. Like one of the things that Jordan did a couple of years ago is he listed guys that could play in his era. And it was like the predictable ones that you would see. But he also included Dirk. Like Dirk was on that list. And Dirk was on the list of like Kobe Bryant's, like the guys that he thought were like the most, like the most impressive guys that he's faced in his career. And Joker gets some of that same kind of talk from some of the really great players in the league. It's not like, oh yeah, he's really good too. They're like, I don't know, that dude's a bad man. Like, there's there's real appreciation of what Joker does, but he's gonna have to admit that it's him. He's gonna have to admit that he's good at basketball.
1: I'm so happy you brought this point up because I. Whoa. Are you still there? I just got a FaceTime call and I did not mean to. Hello, back. Um, I love this point because I was talking to Jonathan Jarks of The Ringer about this exact point because Jonathan Jarks lives in Dallas, Fort Worth, has watched most of Dirk's career kind of blossom in front of him. And he has made this comparison since Nikola's second year that he sees a guy who is just trying to get used to this, what Nikola Jokic calls a circus. And it really is a lot of a circus to a lot of these players. So being able to step outside of that and kind of learn to grow within it, it takes five, six, seven years like it did with Dirk. And once Dirk had it, he has a lot of the same goofy personality traits that Nikola does that are very endearing and make you feel comfortable around him. So there, I do believe that this is 100% something that is on the table and not more likely than not, but not not out of the question in any realm. He could become that idealistic Dirk Nowitzki of Denver and be able to carry that mystique around him. He's going to have to put it forward, like you said, though, because until he decides he can be that guy, like Dirk did in like 2009 when his usage went from 20 to 29 and he actually started to assert himself, that was when he was able to become um, personally more confident from what Jarks has told me. And I wonder if that parallel will exist, where he kind of finds his confidence in his game and how he can produce, and it bleeds out into how he is off the court and how he is as a leader with this team.
0: What's funny is, um, I remember when Joker went for the rookie sophomore game, and he was in the skills contest. Yeah, at, for the all star, and he hated it. He just right. hated it. like he was like coming off the court. They were supposed to do media, and they were like, "We're not doing media." He's just getting on a plane, getting out of here. Yeah, like just he. It was miserable and exhausted because he never like he was. It was so much basketball for him at that point and you know he was selected this year and i had floated the theory that one of the reasons he tanked the first two months of the season was to not get selected for the all-star game yeah uh and the people in nuggets organization were like no like sorry that's absolutely just like not it like he actually really wants to go and i was like okay like i'm fine with being wrong why like what's the deal and they said he's learned to really appreciate being around people like guys that are as good at basketball as him like he's he appreciates that time with those guys that know what it's like to be stars that know what it's like to deal with all this stuff and to get to play and be on the court with those guys is really fun. And what was cool is I showed up in, in, in Chicago and he was really in a great mood. Like he was in a really good place to talk about, about, like he was having fun and making jokes and like, yeah, he had like the entire Serbian media core there, but still like, he was in a really good place. Like it was engaging and fun to talk. Like he had fun that weekend. Now he also went in and it was annual post all-star game collapse. Yes. So still some work to be done <laughs> But I thought there was real growth this year in terms of like how he responded to all-star. So like, that's an example of him kind of growing into the role, which I think is important.
1: Yeah, the maturity part of this is so interesting because is it more mature to look at the playoffs as the important part and not caring about October? Or is it more mature to show up to every game as the superstar of your team? Like that answer doesn't really, or that question doesn't really have an answer right now because LeBron James, the greatest we have in this game currently, is out there doing the exact identical thing to try and prepare himself. Of course, LeBron is 10 years older, so there's a little bit of a difference here, but it's interesting to look at it from that point of view. Is Nikola Jokic really just playing chess, not checkers, and getting ready for the playoffs, or does he just not care about October basketball? I don't think we have an answer to that question. I don't think we will get one for quite a while, but I do think there might be a little bit more to it than just Nikola doesn't feel like playing basketball right now.
0: Yeah, and that's like I'm okay with it. It's just like and here's another thing though. Um, given what we know about Jogic and his mental exhaustion and the fact that he played late May basketball July training camp with Serbia August FIBA in a training camp in September, right? Yeah. Why did they not load-manage him at all this year?
1: I agree. I totally agree with this. And from what it sounded like, again, we're only taking people their what for what they're saying. Michael Malone said he approached guys and asked them if they wanted to rest, and he was told no. So maybe there's a level that Nikola Jokic didn't feel like having a a conversation surrounding him. So he just went out there and played. He's kind of been an iron man, but I don't know. I think they should absolutely make a point to do that because even going back before that he played EuroBasket. he played the Olympics prior to that. He's been to what three straight all-star like festivities. So you could talk about three and a half years of nonstop basketball for him.
0: Yeah. And I just think that like, he would have really, I just think at some point, even if the guys are like, no, I want, cause this is how Houston does it. Houston's like, do you guys want to rest? And they're like, no like nobody rests on Houston. Like they started doing it this year for the first time. Cause guys actually were pretty injured and banged up. Um, Like that's what, you know, regardless of what you want to say about Harden, you can say it's like, well, he's just selfish and wants the MVP or whatever. At least like he comes to work every night. I have respect for that. Like Harden shows up and comes to work every night. Um, At the same time, I do think that there's a point where you have to be like, look, you are exhausted. Like you are mentally exhausted. We need a better you. And the only way we feel like we're going to get a better you is if you take some time off. Take some time off. We're fine. Like, yeah, at some point, you have to convince these guys. Now, the problem comes, like, in, in contract incentives, I think, are probably part yeah. of the problem. And they've been,
1: and um, they put a ton of incentives in the contract that they have created over the past five years.
0: Yeah. So I think a lot of that is, like, you have to be willing to say, like, we will ensure, like, we will go ahead and, and activate this contract clause. Like, we will go ahead and give you the money. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: or just include yeah. games as games that you played. Like if it's a yeah. if it's specifically rest, not injury, then I feel like guys can get around that. But that's that's besides the point of Nicola in a nutshell. Yeah,
0: like because part of it is, I I don't think that like I don't think that Joker needed. Oh, he needed like a night off. I don't think that that's what he needed. I think they needed to take a stretch where like before you can't do it during the All Star. But this is part of the problem. You can't do it before the All Star break. Yeah. Because and you can't do it coming out of the All Star break because then you're like, why did he play in the All Star game? Yeah. If he was hurt? Because that's what you have to do is you have to say. Oh, hey, he's got a a groin injury. He's not with the team. We're going to reevaluate him in two weeks. Oh, he hasn't been around the team. And then it would just blip by. It would just blip. And then he just flies home to Serbia. Just give him two weeks. Let him fly home to Serbia, spend two weeks midseason there, and then come back. I think it's fine. And it would rejuvenate him
1: so much when he just even remotely is asked about Serbia, the way he lights up. Like, I couldn't imagine that not being incredibly helpful for his overall mental state.
0: Like what would have been better for for Joker, playing like ass the the last two weeks after the All Star Game, or just going home to Serbia?
1: It would have been going home to Serbia. It's a very easy answer to me. And I'm sorry, the Nuggets have Mason Plumlee who can start in a lot of teams. Like they had the ability to last without him for a week or two. Like it's not like they were completely going to collapse without him. They were playing bad anyway for a moment. So I, I do agree with you. They need to be able to get that into not just Nicola's head, but Jamal Murray's head to Gary Harris's head to Will Barton's head to get these guys to take rest sometimes. Because even though Jamal Murray may be playing a lot of games. He's not playing them 100% either. That's on right. my list is the injury concerns? not that they've missed games, but that these guys are playing hurt a lot, and that is concerning to me. It would be really nice if they stopped
0: having the same core injuries to every single player on their roster.
1: He stops rolling an ankle and playing through it because he feels like he goes super Saiyan the second he rolls his ankle. Like those yeah, things-
0: I, I don't really mind. <laughs> <Like> Martin, but- <laughs> okay, look, the, the rolled ankle is one thing, but the incidence of re-injury is, like, very low there. The core yeah. injuries are genuinely concerning. It is. And it's like
1: Jason Plumlee, Wancho, Gary Harris, Will Barton. Like, it's not one player re-aggravating
0: an injury. It's across the roster. And, like, look, the the reality, and, and so if somebody listening to this is like, well, why haven't you guys done a research? And it's like, look, they don't make shaminsky available. Yeah. Like we don't get to talk to them. And so the, the problem is we're trapped in, in basic, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to lift the curtain here a little bit. Like we're trapped in a lack of information feedback cycle yeah. where the, the organization and the sources that you would talk to have a meaningful interest in protecting any sort of vulnerability in their training and strength program. Cause you don't want to be an employer that rats out the fact that you have an issue, yeah. right? Like you don't want to be talking about, especially if you're not an expert on it. So what the coaches and what the front office says is, I don't know anything about it. You'd have to talk to the training staff. We yeah. trust our training staff
1: who we then, cannot. And
0: then say like, well, can I talk to the training staff? And they're like, no, they're not made available. Yeah. And that's just and the reality. So like, like I, what, what are we supposed to do? Like, I, I can't talk to the person that is the only person you're saying that has the information to provide me with the reasoning why it is that half their roster have suffered core, core injuries in the last two years.
1: It's funny, too, because if you ask a player and they give you any little insight into their injury, like I get like, whoa, it actually happened for once because they don't talk about it. Like Paul Millsap opening up that he re-aggravated his knee injury and he has to take better care of it and he wasn't taking care of it was like the first time in four years that somebody had opened up to me about their injury. The Nuggets keep that stuff quiet. They are not trying to burn anybody's house down by allowing this information out there. So I think it's important to pull that curtain back a little bit. I think it's good for people to hear that
0: yeah and i mean um i don't blame them either i don't either right like it's their own health. well it's, so there's two things in play here there's one people are really sensitive about talking about their health and two this isn't even like a macho guy thing it's a in general thing but this happens with a lot of the women in my life as well where i'll be like hey, are you okay and they're like it's fine yeah they like they just change the subject they people are just really uncomfortable with the idea of their bodies being physically vulnerable yeah. which in this context i'm always surprised at because i'm like dude you got hurt playing professional basketball no one's gonna think less of you like no one's gonna be like eh, what a wimp strained your groin eh, real men don't do that like no oh, man like nobody's gonna do that we're just trying to understand like what's going on but i understand them being like i don't really want to talk about my groin with you
1: but i also think there's a part of this that like the players their body is how they make their money it is how money. they make- yeah. His love it is what they do to be able to feel comfortable like these people found their solace in basketball and they found their love in basketball and not, like, i i the reason I said this is, is talking to will barton on my podcast you know a year and a half ago or whatever he was so willing to talk about the fact that he didn't just lose money because he didn't it's a guaranteed contract he lost the one thing that has always been there for him in his life and the mental struggle behind it leads into this part of the conversation i think that these guys were they need their body to be at the best to be at the their best because they put so much of their definition of their own lives into this game of basketball.
0: Yeah. And I think um, there's also the matter of like player, like that privacy of, of your body I think is, is important for like everybody, but especially for players the money involved is definitely part of it. I do also think that there's just like a culture of, we don't talk about it. For sure. I think that that's like a large part of it too. Cause the heat were like that. Um the Spurs can be like that. A lot of the organizations more and more have become, you know, kind of like that. My favorite conversation of this was um I don't know if you were covering the team yet, I don't remember. Gary Harris had a foot injury a couple of years ago.
1: I was here, I remember this. I remember this. they like for like two months left foot injury.
0: Yeah, left foot injury. And yeah. so I was like, Okay. Like I let it go for two weeks. And then was like I asked Malone was like, Can you give us some, some details on what's going on with Gary? And he's like, It's a left foot injury, I've been told. And I was like, is it like a sprain or is there a fracture or is it, you know, wait, I forget what the, the plantar fasciitis yeah. and, and Malone was like, Matt, I don't know. I just, the trainer said there was left foot injury and I trust our trainers. You'll have to talk to them again, not able to talk to the trainers. So I go to the front office and I'm like, Hey, look, I just want to make sure that Gary's not like out for the season. Could you just do me a favor and tell me what's going on with Gary? Like buddy, like between us. You know, yeah, and they're yeah. like, he's got a left foot injury. <laughs> like, okay, so I finally get fed up and I'm like, I go up to Gary Harris, who I've you know I've been covering since a kid, was a rookie, and I'm like, yeah. hey man, I was like, I just want to be able to make to tell people that they shouldn't panic over your injury. What's the deal? And he's like, I've got a left foot injury, <laughs> so I'm like. Gary. I'm like, Gary, I, I'm looking he for what an answer as possible. <laughs> so I'm like, is it a sprain? Is it a tear? And he laughs and he looks at me and he's like, I'm sorry, man. They said just to say it's left foot. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? And I never found out. Don't know. No, have no, no, no. I have no <laughs> idea. Like, and if you're listening to this yeah. and you're like, you're a terrible reporter. I can't blame you for thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to call his mom and be like, what, <laughs> what is going on with your kid? Oh
1: my god. But, okay, but no, for, for real, you in in particular have a great insight into this, this next question. This is probably the last one I'm going to get to because we've been here forever now. But as a somebody who covers the gambling side of things now, the realization and um, revealing of injuries becomes much more important when millions of dollars are being bet on games that require players to play. How much is that going to
0: change this? So I talked to the NBA last summer for a big story I did on the starting lineups' availability, um, and they moved the limit back to 30 minutes, mm-hmm. which is funny because the coaches actually recommended 45 minutes, and they went to 30 because the, the league ascertained that so many coaches would abuse it that it would wind up just being 30 minutes anyway. Um, spoiler alert: the same coaches abuse it now, and it's 15. <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm not going to name. I'm not going to okay. name. Right <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna name that Carlyle um, <laughs> But their thing is the league's position is this: there's they are balancing how to provide a reliable and consistent and 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 uh, product with integrity, while balancing the need for teams to maintain control and players to maintain security over their privacy. So one of the things that they've talked about is, okay, should we just like, if you're, if you're, if you get an MRI, you have to be on the injury report. The people that they talked to said, all that's going to happen then is the player is going to get an MRI away from the team. And now you've just introduced an entire new doctor staff into this equation that the team has no control over. And that happens regularly enough with the superstars that they don't want it happening on like a mass scale. Yeah. If you you basically have to tell the teams and make it mandated, the biggest thing is they have to levy like and this is my opinion, they have to levy a major fine and they haven't done it yet. Yeah. Like they need to levy a major fine for somebody that lies about an injury. Like there have been situations where it's been like a player's been out, he's been out, he's been out, he's been out, he's been out. He's been out. Oh, it's like he's like he's uh he's game day decision, he's game time decision, he's game time decision for five games in a row up, oh, he's got a broken foot. He's out. Yeah. Like those are the ones where if there's not new information that's presented and you like, you do the research and you talk to them and they're like, yeah, we just didn't want to say anything because we were playing these opponents and we wanted them not to know. That's where you have to be like, we're finding you, we're finding you a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. like you have, you have to do this or they are not going to take it seriously because for the teams the way that they make their money is winning. And so they take any competitive edge that they can get. That's very important to them. Yeah. Like I talked to coaches this summer and they said, I want to let guys know that a player is out as close to game time as possible because the other, the opponent then has a letdown effect where they're not, they're able to be like, oh, he's out. Oh, okay. This is going to be easier without having the time to counter that and think, hey, we think it's going to be easier. They're going to come out and play hard. We have to get up for this game. Meanwhile, in the other locker room, the guy that's out, the guy that's behind him is now going to start, and his agent is on the phone with him saying, "You're starting. This is an opportunity. We can make big money when you're a free agent this summer. Go out and score. Yeah. Like you need to play well. You're going to get minutes. Play well. And like that happens. I was told. Like it happens consistently. Wow. And so that's what winds up swinging these things a lot. Is like the timing and the letdown effect. Because a lot of times, like the the line shifts to accommodate." For a player, even though it's only a point, a point and a half, like the most you're going to see is three points. Yeah, Lebron uh, Lebron counts as three points to the spread. Um, If the Lakers go from minus six to minus nine, okay, the sharp money is going to drive that number up to probably eleven because everybody's like a Lebron's out. But then, like the Lakers are super motivated and they won without Lebron a couple times this season, so it's like there's all these kind of counter effects. But what you want is you want the most stable product. And that's going to continue to be an issue just because, understandably so, the players and teams are really, really territorial about their medical privacy.
1: Yeah, and I would be too. Like that is, that is by definition your personal business. And it's a difficult thing to be able to just let everybody in. And I do think that there is more of a concern about the social media groupthink and labeling players as injury prone and things like that that players are also thinking about. Because so many of these guys are growing up in social media age now where they're concerned about what their name is being talked about on Twitter. And they're searching their said names, as I'm sure you know very, very well. So that part's also very interesting to me. But Matt, I don't want to keep you here any longer, but did you have anything else to say? Because I do love all these all these like interesting insights that you have.
0: Nothing. Just having you back on. We can talk more. I have lots of stuff to talk about. Thanks for having me on, TJ. Was it was so much
1: fun, man. It's so good to talk to you. I'm happy that you're doing, uh, doing okay as well and family's doing all right. And that you're staying inside. And that if there's anything I can ever do to help out, you always know that you can reach out to me.
0: Hey, I just appreciate all the times that you told me to stay safe. As if it was all in preparation for me to store them up and keep them ready for this time because every day I could just imagine you like I'm just I stored up all of TJ saying those <laughs>
1: you I- the bottle and I can release all the good energy that I've been storing for you for so long yes that's what I'm here for Matt it has been so much fun thank you again I hope we talk very very soon Guys, are you looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to bluechew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients in Viagra and Cialis so you know that they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, and even on a full stomach. Plus, you do not need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in a pharmacy line. BlueChew's online physician is free of cost and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. So here's a great deal for all of you guys out there. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BlueWire. Just pay $5 shipping. That is it. Again, that is B-L-U-E-Chew.com promo code BlueWire.